Hey, what's up, guys? How's everyone doing today? Hope you're kicking ass. Welcome to my podcast. This is Daily Drives that you're listening to here, the Daily Drives podcast. Seatbelt and in gear. So here we go. Listen, this is Jason Cremines. I'm your host, and I appreciate you being here with me today. We've got a really cool topic I want to talk about. Uh, This is going to tie into some uh, probably more than just one episode because uh, I want to start with uh, kind of the history and the understanding to give you a really good understanding of what it is exactly that we're talking about, uh, and then go and that'll that'll then move right on into um, the medical uh, purposes for this whole thing. So what do I want to talk about today? Today I want to talk about pot. All right, marijuana, cannabis, cannabis sativa, grass, weed, herb, flower, whatever you guys call it. That's what I want to talk about today. So. Uh, you probably have already noticed that it's a really big, uh, you know, controversial topic. Legalizing recreational and/or medical marijuana, the differences between the two, uh, why one makes sense over another, blah blah blah. Right? You hear a lot about Jeff Sessions. You hear a lot about Schedule One. Uh, you know, all of these things. But really, what does all of this mean? You know, where did all this come from? Uh, why are we fighting this battle today that we really probably shouldn't be fighting? Um, in my opinion. Um, that's what I want to talk about. It is fucking hot. I just want to tell you. I live in Florida, you guys. So uh, today in the Sunshine State, my car is telling me that it's 78 degrees outside. So I'm going to say that it's probably a little bit warmer than that, uh, one or two degrees maybe. And I'm also going to say that it's a little bit muggy outside. So it feels like it's about 20 degrees hotter. Um, that being said, <laughs> that's why I had to turn on the AC. So if it's a little fuzzy, sorry about the, sorry about your luck. So. Um, I want to talk about the history. We're going to start out here with the history of marijuana prohibition, how this whole thing actually got started, why it is that um, we are, you know, that we're not allowed to just grow this stuff and, and smoke away all we want and whatever, and why we're not allowed to just use this for any medical purposes um, unless you're in a state that legalizes that. Now, that being said, it's illegal federally, regardless of whether it's legal in your state for medical or recreational use, it's still illegal federally. So that puts a big damper on business, makes things a lot more difficult. So we'll talk about that here shortly. But right now, I want to get started on the history of marijuana prohibition, how this thing got started and why. I think you're going to really find this to be very um, educational uh, and maybe even a little bit entertaining when you find out the real reasons that, uh, that this is the way it is today. Okay, segment two. So let's start out here with the, the history of cannabis. And that's the true name for it, cannabis or cannabis sativa. Uh, that's the actual name for it. We'll talk about why we call it marijuana here shortly. Uh, but uh, cannabis sativa has been around for as long as plants have been around, okay? Um, and in fact, prior to the 1900s, it, there's a 5,000 year history of marijuana or cannabis being used uh, for medical purposes, relaxation purposes, and, and, and other kinds of things. In fact, uh, in the late 1800s, you could go to any pharmacy, any drugstore in the country, and it would be in a lot of the cough syrups, it would be in uh, sleeping aids and, and things like that. It was very, very common uh, to go to the grocery store, I mean, to go to the, the pharmacy and to pick this up. No big deal. Uh, people wrote scripts for it, docs wrote scripts for it all the time. And again, it was referred to in the US as cannabis or cannabis sativa. We had never heard the term marijuana, at least not until the 1900s. 
And uh, what happened in the 1900s, right after the Mexican Revolution, the United States saw an influx of immigrants from Mexico, you know, migrating to, uh, to the southern part of the region. Um, in Texas and Louisiana specifically, and with them they brought their cultures and you know some of the things that they uh, did on a regular basis, which included what they called marijuana. Okay, uh, that's the first time that we had ever heard the name for it, uh, marijuana. We didn't know that the two were one and the same. Marijuana and cannabis sativa were the same thing. We didn't know that, right? Because back then we didn't have social media. Right? In the 1900s, there was no internet, so. Well, in the early 1900s, there was no internet. <laughs> um, it was late 1900s before we got that, but you know what I mean. So my point to this is that we didn't have the access to information that we have now, right? So it's really easy to uh, you know, spread fear and hate and lies and all that stuff uh, you know, back in the, 19, the early 1900s when we didn't have the uh, availability of the technology that we have today, right? So with that being said, um, with them, they brought marijuana. Okay, uh, the government at the time was, you know, like, dude, we gotta, we gotta, we can't have, you know, whites hanging out with blacks and with Mexicans. So we gotta make sure that we have an easy way to detain and deport um, immigrants, and that we have an easy way to arrest and, uh, you know, imprison the uh, the African American community. Um, so, and that's not all. <laughs> uh, it gets a lot more fun. So, basically, with the, uh, with the Mexican Revolution, we also saw one other thing that happened um, in 1933. Um, alcohol, the prohibition of alcohol ended in 1933. All right, I want you to understand that it's very important that you know this. Harry Aslinger was the head of the prohibition department. So in 1933, when alcohol prohibition ended, this dude was out of a job, right? It's important that you understand that, and I'll, I'll explain why here momentarily. So with, uh, you know, with the turn of the century, one of the other things that became very prevalent um, in the southern part of the United States, especially in Louisiana, uh, was jazz music. Most jazz musicians that created this music were of the African-American community, right? So uh, a lot of these folks uh, liked to smoke cannabis, uh, gave them, you know, ideas and things like that. So they used it on a regular basis and it was commonly associated with that particular music industry, with the jazz industry, right? So this was, um, you know, again, a, a fear for the United States government because everybody loves music. <laughs> and as the white community started to embrace jazz music, uh, they were also embracing the jazz musicians. So that made them want to hang out and write, or like, you know, chill with each other. Like, hey, cool, I, I like your music, man. Like, I didn't know black people could make really cool music like this. This is cool, let's, let's check this out, let's hang out, let's get to know one another, right? The government's like, I don't like this idea, right? Because segregation was still a very, very big thing in the early 1900s, right? Black people weren't allowed to hang out with white people and, and, and white people weren't allowed to hang out with Mexicans and stuff like that. It was a very, very bad idea, right? As far as the government was concerned. Um, Harry Aslinger was also, by the way, a huge, like major freaking racist, okay? And, and unapologetic about it as well, right? For example, <laughs> he actually said, and this is a direct quote, reefer 
makes darkies think they're as good as white men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exact direct quote from uh, from good old Harry Aslinger. <laughs> it's actually Anslinger, but uh, anyway, the point is that when uh, when the prohibition of alcohol ended in 1933, Harry Anslinger was then out of a job. Interestingly enough, Harry Anslinger jumped on board the marijuana train and the demonization of marijuana, right along with some of the very mo- the most important people in the country at the time. Okay, who are these very? So William Randolph Hearst. Uh, was a big investor in the logging and timber industry. Now, why is this important? Because the logging and timber industry at the time was uh, under a little bit of pressure because the hemp industry, uh, they were afraid that the hemp industry would literally undercut the paper pulp industry, right? Which obviously timber and paper, big deal, right? So uh, they used the cellulose to make paper and and paper products um, and newspapers was obviously a very big thing in the time because that was our media. That was how we got our news and everything in the early 1900s was newspaper. Everybody read the paper, right? So paper was a big, huge industry in the United States, huge. So William William Randolph Hearst, um, he was all on board with Harry Anslinger uh, to demonize the hemp industry because they were concerned that it was going to cut into their profits. Now, fast forward years later, just for a second, they realized that hemp did not create enough cellulose to really, you know, combat with the paper industry, with with the timber industry, the way that it was. Uh, so it didn't matter anyway. But that's what they thought at first. So you know, he was like, "Hey, Harry, I'm on board with you, man. Let's demonize the fuck out of this thing. I don't want hemp being, you know, a major a major thing." So, uh, but. Now, William Randolph Hearst was not the only one, okay? Uh, The DuPont family at the time had just created nylon. They had just invented nylon. And they were afraid, of course, that hemp would destroy their nylon business. Okay, so the DuPont family was on board as well to demonize the hemp industry. And then we have one other person that we have to blame this on, Andrew Mellon. Andrew Mellon was a huge investor for DuPont also happened to be the Secretary of the Treasury, and also happened to be the richest man at the time in the United States, right? So with all of his investments uh, with DuPont, he didn't want DuPont to fail because of the hemp industry. So they were, you know, he was on board as well. Let's, let's demonize this thing. So uh, they, they weren't the only folks though. Um, you know, there, was, there were many other people uh, that wanted to demonize the hemp industry and get rid of it. So Harry Anslinger, what he did was he drew up what we now know as the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which basically uh, made anybody who um, imported or, or sold um, or you know bought marijuana, and that includes doctors and pharmacists, they had to pay a tax to do this, okay? Um, by, be- by paying this tax, however, it was incriminating them, letting, letting the government know that they were in fact dealing with marijuana, which was again being demonized by the government, by uh, the richest people in the United States, by the biggest companies in the United States, um, and people that had a financial interest in demonizing the hemp industry. Okay, as we had mentioned before. So, 
with that being said, uh, there were, you know, a, a church group, for example, financed a film you may have heard of before called Reefer Madness. And the idea behind Reefer Madness was to uh, make marijuana look like a very evil drug. They wanted to make it look like that it made people um, psychotic, that it made them angry, and that it made them do things like solicit uh, women for sex and, and crazy things like this, right? So that was the idea behind that particular film and many films just like it. There were other films as well uh, that came out around those times to help to demonize the, uh, the, the hemp industry and, and marijuana or cannabis, if you will. So uh, all of these things together, you know, coupled with, of course, the newspaper industry uh, that also needed to make sure that uh, the hemp industry didn't take off because, of course, they needed their profits. They needed their money. So if the hemp industry started undercutting the paper industry, then it was going to cost them money as well. So they jumped on board as well. All across the country, headlines read things like, you know, um, Mexican man, uh, you know, attacks wife high on marijuana, you know, things like that. Um, so the, uh, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 was drafted by Harry Anslinger and then went ahead and, and brought into uh, or made into law, signed into law by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1937. So FDR signed off on this uh, after, you know, Congress had approved it and everything. So um, in 1937, that was that was the law. Um, now, the first person who was arrested under this particular law. Um, was a Mexican by the name of Moses Baca, B-A-C-A. He had a quarter ounce of weed in his apartment in Denver. Uh, and the judge, John Foster Symes, uh, he said, you know what? This is a disgusting drug. It makes men evil and it makes them do evil things. It makes them psychotic, right? So he threw the book at him, okay? Uh, that was the first incident uh, incident that was really, you know, linked back to the act of 1937. Okay. Uh, fast forward many years later, uh, you know, 30 some years later when, um, when this was actually brought into the Supreme court in a case Leary versus the U S uh, the Supreme court ruled that act unconstitutional saying that it violated your fifth amendment because you had to incriminate yourself to be able to pay taxes on what they considered to be uh, a, a, an evil drug. Right? So they're like, no, nope, you can't do this. Right? So in 1969, it was overruled. Uh, it was overturned by the Supreme court. So Richard Nixon, uh, went ahead and employed, um, a, an organization to go ahead and do some research on this topic and to see, you know, how bad this really was. Okay, uh, and that was called the Schaefer Act. And actually, wait, I'm sorry, it was called the Schaefer Commission. So the Schaefer Commission um, looked into this. Uh, while they were looking into it, uh, the, uh, the, what we now know as the Controlled Substance Act uh, of the 1970s was you know, signed into law. And, and what the Controlled Substance Act did uh, was repealed and replaced the Controlled Substances um, Act of, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the uh, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. It repealed and replaced that. And what they did was that, that uh, the Drug Scheduling Act, basically what it did was it said, listen, we're going to put all drugs into a schedule format. Schedule one being the things like um, heroin and cocaine and things like that, that have no medical value and a high um, 
potential for addiction and abuse, okay? So they went ahead and stuck, Richard Nixon stuck into the Schedule 1, uh, you know, cannabis or marijuana, right? Um, and basically it was kind of a placeholder until the Schaefer Commission was able to, you know, give their results on, on what they thought, um, you know, what the deal was with, with marijuana. Now, the Schaefer Commission reported that not only did they feel like uh, it was of no harm to anyone, they also said that it should not be listed as a Schedule One drug because it does. There are medical values. In fact, they wanted to be able to keep it off the Schedule One list so that they could do more research and, and learn more about the medical value of cannabis at the time uh, because we knew so little about it even though there's a 5,000 year history of people using it for a lot of different reasons uh, there was really not a lot of science behind it so the Schaefer Commission said don't put it on the schedule one list because we want to check it out we want to see what medical benefits there are Richard Nixon's like not nah, fuck that it's staying on there and that's basically what happened right that's how this entire thing started that's how um, you know, marijuana ended up on the Schedule One list. Now, interestingly enough, a Schedule One drug like heroin, like cocaine, um, like, you know, they have opium in there as well, uh, which has some medical benefits, but I don't want to muddy the waters too much here. I just want to stick with cannabis. So, um, you know, there are other things that are, are listed. But most, for the most part, Schedule One drugs are literally completely useless as far as medication is concerned and definitely have a high potential for dangerous um, addiction and abuse. We clearly know about the heroin epidemic uh, today and how, you know, what, what that's doing to our country, especially in the uh, lower um, income areas of the country. So we see it, we know that it is evil and that it is not something that you want uh, for a medication and it's not something that's going to serve you um, any value whatsoever in your life. So it being on the Schedule 1 uh, list of drugs makes perfect sense, not like pot, right? So why is this, why is this such a, a difficult thing? Why, do, why can we not just remove this from the Schedule 1, and, uh, allowing, you know, allowing science, you know, allowing for the experimentation, allowing for the, you know, research and development of medical uses for cannabis, you know? Um, I'll tell you why, because the states now individually are controlling that, but there's many problems that come along with that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so we, we really still have a lot more to discuss here. And I, I mean, I know that this is probably gonna get a little bit long, um, but I, I want you guys to understand everything completely. I wanna take a small break right here to kind of point out some major details, okay? Prior to the 1900s, for 5,000 years, people all over the world, including, you know, the, the North Americas, South Americas, like all over the world, okay, um, used cannabis for many different things, many different things, okay, um, medical uses as well as, you know, structural uses, things like paper and stuff like that, <clears throat> which really comes from the, uh, the hemp plant itself. And there is a difference, which, again, I will talk to you about momentarily. But um, so for 5,000 years, people use this regularly, right? No big deal. Nobody ever once said, oh, this is not good for you, right? Um, it wasn't until the United States government 
decided that they wanted to find a way to stop, search, and detain and deport Mexican immigrants. They didn't want them here, guys. Does that sound familiar? Because it fucking should. It should absolutely sound familiar to you, like it or not. Okay? So, I know that, uh, you know, this is a big deal even today still when it comes to um, immigration, immigration reform, things like that. Like, we talk about this all the time, right? So, this should sound very familiar to you. Okay, and that, that's not the only reason. It's not just the Mexicans, all right? Um, once again, in the early 1900s, uh, jazz music became alive, right? It was something that uh, primarily at the time was associated with the African-American community, the black community. And again, in the music world, I mean, you know, we, uh, you know, we musicians, we smoke pot, man. I mean, <laughs> it's just... It's just the way it is, man. We understand the use of it. We, we get it, right? Um, so it was, it was a, another way to be able to legally stop, search, detain, and imprison black men because, you know, it was the, uh, the black men that were in the community that were using the uh, cannabis, right? It was, it was, they were saying that it makes... <laughs> Harry Anslinger literally said, it makes darkies think that they're as good as whites. All right? <laughs> Fucking bigot, man. Anyway, the point is that the government wanted to be able to control the population in the way that they wanted to be able to control the population. Are you following me here? Okay, it was, it was the government that wanted to control all of these things. The government didn't want you hanging out with African-Americans and Mexicans because then if you were to hang out with African-Americans and Mexicans, you might have sex with them and have children that aren't 100% white, right? This was a big fucking concern in the early 1900s for the U.S. government. This is not some shit that I'm making up, guys. All right, the shit that you heard about in history class and the way that laws were made and things like the complete fucking bullshit, the shit that we've been taught for the past 30 years, total crap, total crap. They're probably still teaching it in schools, you know, in history classes and everything like that. And we've been lied to, you know, we, we've been lied to. Um, we've been manipulated into thinking a certain way or believing certain things. And you wonder why racism and things like that exist today. You wonder why today we're having such a difficult time when it comes to our immigration reform and, you know, when it comes to immigration laws in general, we put the word illegal in front of immigrants to make it seem like they're bad people. Are you following? What I, I mean, you're picking up what I'm laying down here, guys, because so many of you say that you don't trust the government, yet you're on Facebook talking about vote for this person or vote for that person who are all politicians and all don't give a fuck about you and are all going to make these same kinds of decisions based upon their own particular goals and their own ideas and their own agendas, right? Who were some of the people that really opposed um, the legislation for uh, criminalizing marijuana? The American Medical Association strongly opposed strongly opposed putting medical marijuana, putting marijuana 
on the Schedule One list of of drugs. Strongly opposed to this. Okay. Yet we did it anyway. The Schaefer Commission strongly opposed. Said no. We should start looking into this for for its medical benefits. Don't list it as a Schedule One drug. What did Richard Nixon do? He's like, nah, fuck that. It's a bad drug. We're going to keep it on there. I don't care what your report says. No joke. (laughs) Right? It gets better. It gets better. Because think about this. In the 1960s, during the Nixon administration, who was the, uh, the, the biggest enemy of the Nixon administration? Guess who it was? Guess who it was? Black people and the far left anti-war people, what we all know as today as hippies. So, guess who was associated with marijuana and marijuana use as well as other psychotic drugs and things like that? Hippies, right. Now, did hippies use pot? Fuck yeah, they did. I'm not gonna deny that. And there's, you'll never meet a hippie that'll deny that either, right? So, now, personally, I'm a huge fan of hippies. I have a lot of hippie friends, man. And I got to tell you, I've never met one fucking hippie in my entire life who was like, let's go fight, dude. Never. Not one. Not one. All right? Uh, Nick Kalura, wonderful man. Just an amazing human being. Huge heart. Um, Amazing musician. He owns a little guitar shop in um, Nelsonville, Ohio called NC Sound Shop. There, we, uh, my, my band, Seventh Cycle, had recorded a couple of demos and, um, you know, he let me use some bass gear one time, a couple times at different shows and things like that. Just a super awesome dude, right? I mean, everybody who's ever met Nick Kalura has nothing but good things to say about the man. Nothing. Total hippie, right? Total hippie. He's like me. He uses the word. He calls everybody, everybody's brother, you know? Hey, good, brother. That's good. And, and, and the way that he talks to people is with complete respect and love and compassion. He cares about people as a whole. Doesn't care who you are, where you're from, whatever, whether you like hippies or don't like it. He doesn't care because one of the things that hippies did better than anybody else is they didn't fucking judge, man. They didn't judge you based on the color of your skin. They didn't judge you based on you know where you're from or how much money you had. They didn't give a shit, right? All they cared about was love and peace. And what did our government do? They damned them. They said, you guys are a bunch of pot-smoking hippies. And they put out, you know, media that talked about what a a, a terrible thing it was to be a pot-smoking hippie. (laughs) You know, you must be a horrible person if you're doing this stuff, right? It makes you dangerous. It makes you psychotic, right? They started associating drugs like LSD with pot. (laughs) Guys, pot and LSD are nowhere near similar, all right? LSD will make you hallucinate somewhat. All right, LSD is a lot different. It's a chemical, like, it, it's completely different. One of these days we'll talk about that. So in the 1960s, um, you know, your, your good buddy Richard Nixon declared a war on drugs. He's like, look, guys, anything that's on that Schedule 1 list, we're going we're gonna to search you. We're going to detain the shit. We're going to give you mandatory sentencing, mandatory fines. You're going to have, you know, they expanded the uh, mandatory sentencing, uh, making it, you know, uh, you know, uh, even worse <coughs> for the possession, cultivation, distribution of anything on the Schedule 1 list. And what's on the Schedule 1 list? 
That's right, cannabis. Uh, because even though the Schaefer Commission said, no, take it off, Nixon was like, no, we're leaving it on there because it's associated with hippies now. So we got to get rid of the hippies. We got to get rid of the blacks because they're going to destroy my campaign, right? That's exactly how this shit started going down. Now, um, once again, let's keep in mind the people in the 1900s that were totally for, um, you know, the criminalization of hemp and cannabis. Those people either had a political interest or a financial interest. Think about that. Those are the only two reasons why somebody would say, no, we don't want you to investigate how this could be useful for us. They had either a political agenda and this combated their political agenda, or they had money, they had skin in the game, right? They had money invested in things that could be hurt by the hemp industry and the cannabis industry. Once again, does this sound familiar? (laughs) The pharmaceutical industry the pharmaceutical industry, guys, they don't want us using things like cannabis, hemp, kratom. They don't want us using kava. They don't want us using these things because they're going to realize that we're going to realize that we have all of these things available to us that are way cheaper than all these addictive and dangerous drugs that are approved by our Food and Drug Administration. We have alternatives healthy alternatives to a lot of these medications. (laughs) Fast forward to the Reagan administration. Same issues, guys. Same agendas. The Reagan administration expanded the war on drugs. Nancy Reagan, with the help of somebody else, I don't remember because I have my notes in front of me, uh, (laughs) created the D.A.R.E. program, Drug Abuse Resistance Education for Schools. Great idea, great idea. But what they did was they spread lies and propaganda. Some of the things that they talked about were 100% true and accurate, and it made sense. You know, like cocaine and LSD and other kinds of really bad drugs for you, right? But then other things that they talked about, like pot and shrooms, not at all the case. They spread lies. That's what they did. They wanted to spread their propaganda, and they did. They started at school. Smart idea, because now you got all these kids thinking that hippies are bad people. That's how all this shit started, guys. It's not because, you know, this was something that was actually dangerous for the United States and the the, the American citizens, but because they wanted to be able to control the population, and that's still going on to to this very day. To this very day, that's still going on. Why do you think they have yet to remove it from the Schedule 1 list of drugs? Because there's no proof? I don't think so, guys. 33 states have already said there's proof. Think about that. All right, so real quick, let's go back over a couple facts. <clears throat> First of all, when I'm referring to the Nixon administration in the 1960s, this is the late 1960s we're talking about. It was 1971, to be exact, to give you the facts here, um, that Richard Nixon said that drugs our public enemy number one. And what he did was he actually expanded the, uh, the drug force agency at the time. Um, and of course, it, uh, it gave stiffer penalties for folks that possess or cultivate uh, or distribute, sell, that is, uh, anything on that Schedule One list, including, obviously, cannabis. So... What was going on in 1971 
that would um, that would make President Nixon think that he needed to uh, to do this. To, he needed to uh, you know get rid of people like hippies and <laughs> and and the black community. Well, it was the Vietnam War. And in fact, it was toward the end of the Vietnam War, so the tensions were the highest they had ever been in the United States about the war, right? So it was a very big topic, probably the biggest topic of discussion uh, around coffee tables and bars and this and that and whatever was obviously the Vietnam War. You know, should we be there? Should we not be there? This and that and whatever. So... (laughs) That was public enemy number one for Nixon. For the Nixon administration, public enemy number one was actually the African-American community and the Hispanic community and, of course, the, uh, the far left or what we refer to today as hippies, right? So that was the biggest, that was the real public enemy number one, and, and that was the reason for the war on drugs, right? But it gets better because, fast forward, as I said earlier, to uh, the Reagan administration, 1981, Ronald Reagan declared the war on drugs and uh, gave even harsher penalties, right, for the folks that were dealing with these kinds of things. So I think it's important right now to point out a couple of other little facts that I think that you'll find um, interesting, to say the very least, okay? Um, The number one thing that I think I should point out here is the amount of incarcerations, the amount of arrests for, you know, for folks that um, were nonviolent criminals. And nonviolent means like drug possession and stuff like that, right? So in 1981, the focus was to kick the shit out of all of the people using any kinds of uh, Schedule One drugs, right? So incarcerations for nonviolent drug offenses went from 50,000 people in 1980, right, to 400,000 people in 1997. Guys, that's an 800% increase, an 800% increase in 17 years in incarcerations for nonviolent criminals. What's happening here? Does anybody want to take a stab? at the demographic of those people? Anybody want to tell me who, you know, what minority group these people may or may not have belonged to that were being incarcerated, the majority of them? That's right, you guessed it, the African-American community. Locked up more black people during this time than any time in history because of the war on drugs. Now, there are some conspiracy theories out there that will tell you that the U.S. government also dumped cocaine into the market and heroin and things like that. I can't confirm or deny those things. I can tell you that based on the information that I've read over the past couple of weeks while researching this specific topic uh, has taught me that there's no way that I could think for myself for one second that it's not possible. You know what I mean? So in other words, if, you know, if that truly did happen, it wouldn't surprise me. Although it should, because you would think that as our government, our elected officials, the people that we put in charge to run the country, you would think that they would have our best interests in mind. But when I say our, I mean our, all of us, the United States as a whole, 
not just white people, okay? Not just white people and you know, or Caucasians. I mean, whatever you want to call us, crackers, I don't know. But my guess is that once they realized that they had a legitimate way to start locking away the people that they didn't want us associating with, they jumped on that shit and they expanded the hell out of as much as possible. And today, you know, a couple decades later, we're still doing the same thing. We're still doing the same thing. And we're continuing to elect officials that allow these things to go on. So I ask you, is this really our voice? Is this really what we want for our country? To, you know, damn certain groups of people based upon either a political or financial agenda? Is that what you want? I don't think it is. I think that if you're listening to this, this is probably disgusting you in some way, and I hope it is. Because the main point that I want to make behind all of this is the simple fact that the government has lied to us for a century, for over a century, when it comes to cannabis specifically. But not just when it comes to cannabis, but when it comes to what they truly believe is going to help the United States. I don't think that these folks had in mind the, the, the best possible outcomes for the United States people. I believe that they had the best possible outcomes in mind for themselves, their own pockets, their own political agenda, their own financial agenda and investment agenda, whatever it is, that's what they really cared about. And that's what they really care about today. So when it comes to our government saying this and saying that, you know, this is good, this is bad and whatever, I, I would ask you to challenge everything that you've learned in the past about our government and how it works. And I would also challenge you to ask questions when it comes to the, the government and their, their political agendas and, and what it is that they're trying to accomplish. You know, I would really want to know what is it that they really want, you know, because at the end of the day, I think we can all agree on one thing. You cannot trust the United States government. It is filled with career politicians who have only one thing in mind, and that is themselves, themselves and their own agendas. So that's why I wanted to bring this to your attention today. Um, just recently here in the state of Florida, uh, there was a bill, uh, an amendment to a bill uh, where the Medical Marijuana Act was passed. They, they tried to amend this to where smokable flour had to be at a THC level of under 10%. And I don't know how much you know about weed, but that's very, very small. It's a very small amount, okay? And the reason for this, one particular, uh, one particular um, representative said that reports have shown that high levels of THC can cause psychosis in some patients. Psychosis. <laughs> this woman has obviously never smoked weed in her entire life or, or, and this is another very good possibility, she has her own agenda that she's looking out for, okay? So when the bill was approached, uh, you know, or when the bill was brought up in the Senate, they didn't even want to hear it. They were like, not interested. Let's talk about budgets. This doesn't have anything to do with budgets. Let's, let's trash this. That's not happening. We're not doing that. We're not putting a cap 
on the smokable flour. Not gonna do it. Because it was stupid. It was a dumb idea. It was a dumb idea brought up by somebody who's completely ignorant of the possible uses and benefits of medical marijuana. Complete waste of time. And you know, when it comes to our government, one thing that our government does better than anyone or anything else in the entire world, in my opinion, is waste fucking time. You know, right now we've got Washington, D.C. You've got one, everybody's filing lawsuits on other people and trying to subpoena things over the Mueller report or, or whatever, you know. Of course, the collusion with Russia and all these other stupid things. In my opinion, all that shit's in the past and we need to just like fucking move on, man, because like it or not, Donald Trump's the president. Like it or not, right? You don't want him to get reelected? Fine. Then let's find somebody that's going to do a better job. That's, what, that's my thinking. That's what I'm thinking right now. I'm like, let's find somebody who's not a career politician who can do a better job than the douchebag that is Donald Trump, right? Not saying he's doing a bad job. I'm not. But I'm not going to sit here and say he's doing a great job either. However, I can tell you this. He's led by all of the previous administrations who put forth these efforts against our minority communities. And that's really what this is. This is really all about keeping minorities, minorities in the United States. And, and, and that's, it's sickening to me. It disgusts me. Um, it makes me sad, you know, to think that our government is still thinking this way, even though it's, you know, 2019 instead of 1919. You know, it just blows my mind. I can't, I can't even believe it, that we're still having these kinds of discussions and conversations. So... Write to your local representative, write to your state representative, and ask them to remove cannabis from the Schedule One list of drugs because it doesn't belong there. Obviously, more than half the country, as far as the states are concerned, have agreed with that. Uh, the fact that it's, it, there's obviously medical benefits, there's no hiding it anymore, and we need to decriminalize marijuana across the board. That's what we need to do because we are imprisoning people for no reason. We have people that are in jail right now over a couple of ounces of weed or maybe a, a few plants at their house or you know whatever. And, and these are things that realistically can be avoided. But I want you to keep this in mind too. That in the 1970s and in the 1980s, prisons became a very big business. They started building them all over the country because they started realizing the amount of money that they can make by incarcerating people. The more people you have in your prison, the more money you get. Therefore, the more people that we can uh, accuse of crimes, nonviolent even, then we can go ahead and lock them up. And that's more money for that particular prison. It's a business at the end of the day, guys. Everybody needs to sell something. Every business has to sell something. And that's what those folks are selling. They're selling beds in their prison system. I know some of you are probably sitting around thinking, man, Jay, you kind of sound like an old school hippie. And, and again, for those of you who know me, it's right in line with my, my core values and beliefs. You know, peace, love, happiness. That's me, right? If you want to call me a tree-hugging hippie, you go right ahead. I will embrace the title wholeheartedly because that's the kind of person I want to be associated with. The people who love, the people who care, the people who spread love and not hate and not war and not crime. Those are the people that I care about. Those are the people 
that care about me and that care about you even though they don't know you, right? So write to your state and local representatives and tell them that you want cannabis to be removed from the Schedule One list of drugs. You want to allow the medical industry and science to take over and to find out all the benefits that we can get from this particular plant that grows freely across the world. Because even though you're gonna get pushback from the Food and Drug Administration, even though you're gonna get pushback from Big Pharma who has deep pockets and can contribute to a lot of campaign funding, at the end of the day, we are the people. We have the voice. This is all I got for you today, guys. It took me like two weeks almost to record this episode <laughs> because I get to record it like five, 10 minutes at a time. Um, and even though it's not a super long episode, um, it's fairly long, uh, but it took several segments to get it done. Uh, and there, uh, you know, there's a few mistakes in here. I went back and corrected them. I think that you will be able to find some very good knowledge in here. And, and here's what I want you to do for me, because if you really believe in this as much as I do, and I am now a self-proclaimed cannabis activist, um, activist and um, I, want to, I want to see people to be able to use this for what they need it for uh, without having to worry about imprisonment uh, or fines and things like that, losing their freedom over feeling better in their lives. So help me. Help me help you and the rest of the United States share this podcast, share this episode right here and talk about on your wall or, you know, in your direct message or whatever, however you choose to, to share this, please talk about why you're sharing it. And, and the reason that you're sharing it is because you believe the same things that I do. So let's try to work on this together, guys, because it, it's, I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing people getting in trouble for this stuff when they don't need to be, it's ridiculous. Um, and the, the restrictions that they put on things and you know, they're literally, every state is trying to monopolize the industry as well uh, with their laws of passing you know, medical marijuana and even recreational. They're trying to corner the market and, and take all the money for themselves, guys. So <laughs> we gotta put a stop to this shit, man. That's not what the United States is all about, right? It's not, it's free will. We're all about, you know, everybody, you know, if you wanna build a business, build your business. You know, we're all about giving everybody a shot, so let's take a shot at it, all right? Write to your reps, share this podcast. That's all I got for you. I can't talk about it anymore, guys. You understand. You get the gist. You see what I'm, you're picking up what I'm laying down. You are smoking what I'm rolling. I'm, I'm telling you. I know, I know you are. So if you're doing that right now, please share this fucking episode. That's all I got for you guys. Until I talk to you again, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, legalize.